Would you grab your Bibles, turn to John 14. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So as Jesus is finishing his time with his now the eleven, Judas has gone out, he's betrayed the Lord. Um, Jesus begins to share a bit more about the Father and he begins to get a little bit more focus in regard to things. I just want to share with you this morning, Jesus referred to God as Father in the Gospel of John 170 times. If you think that's not uh, important for us to grasp and understand that, Jesus referred to to God as Father 170 times. 51 of those are in John 13 through 17. And we will see Him speak about that today. So this year on Easter Sunday, I went home. And I don't know how many times I've seen the movie or portions of the movie. I found myself on Easter Sunday late in the afternoon, once again watching The Wizard of Oz. As Dorothy lands in Oz, you know that she goes on this grand adventure to get back home, trying to figure out how can she get back home because there is no place like home. So she longs to be back at the farm. She wants to be with Auntie M. Um, She wants to be in Kansas, and she wants to be in her own bed. You know, for we as Christ followers, this life sometimes seems like Dorothy's quest on the yellow brick road. This life is full of vivid dreams, difficult and scary moments of life, unique encounters. There are disappointments along the way, and there are great challenges that we face. And the further Dorothy walked on the road, the more it became certain to her that she didn't want to be there anymore. She wanted to find a way out and to figure out how to do it. It just increased her desire to go home. And I know this to be true in my own life, and I believe that you probably do as well, is that the more that we travel on this road in this life, on this planet as a Christ follower, the more our spirit has a longing And to remind us that earth is not our home, but there is an ultimate destination that you and I are heading to. And I can't think of a time frame of my life and all these young few years that I've existed on the planet that have been more interesting the last 18 months about thinking about things and, and listening to things and just this longing to be away from the craziness at times that this life brings. Until we are with Jesus, though, this life carries us through difficulties. It brings encounters with defeat. There are rejections along the way, and at times, there are real heartaches as we live here. Some of the things sometimes feel as if they can destroy us. And when I look around the room here, I know many of your stories. Most of the scars in our lives 
aren't, aren't the ones that we see from the outside. They are the ones that are on the inside of us that are painful, and they seem to last and they seem to linger. And so what do we do when on the inside uh, we feel like our life is scarred up and there's a troubled heart on the inside trying to find peace and find, uh, to find rest and direction and hope in the future. And it's these troubles on the inside of our life that seem to sink our heart that cause us the most problem. They are the joy stealers of our lives. And being hidden, they can become the most dangerous kind of wounds and trouble in our lives. A troubled heart is way worse than a broken leg. We all know that and we have come to experience that. And yet in these moments, there are things that God wants to do. And we're, we're going to encounter the eleven and their heart has sunk. I mean, their hearts are troubled and we will see where they are. They will continue to be that way over the next hour or so in the, in the room as far as Jesus is teaching and how long they remain in the upper room. And so toward the end of John 15, we will see these incredible things that Jesus speaks and then they will get up and they will leave the room and, and, John, and Jesus will continue to teach whether that's along the way out to the Garden of Gethsemane or whether they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's two settings to where all this teaching takes place, but their hearts are sunk and their hearts are troubled. It led me to think about Job. If you'll remember about Job, he's a God-fearing man from us. He is blameless. He is upright. He hates evil. He is a family man. He had seven sons and three daughters. He is married. He had land. He had possessions. And he had a great reputation. In a brief amount of time, all of that was gone from him. Just gone. He had lost all of it. Every aspect of his life was full of pain and his heart was troubled. He was knocked down, not out, and not forgotten. And though everything in his life in the moment was very difficult, and his friends and his wife kind of gave him some counsel on what he ought to do, and he wrestled with some of that and even wrestled with some of the things in his own life, Job eventually gets to a place in Job thirteen fifteen where he says these words, Though God slay me, yet will I hope or trust in Him. We need this mindset today. This kind of faith and trust in God when we don't have all of the answers to the troubles that our heart is experiencing. And so today, Jesus is going to teach us what do we do when our heart is troubled and it is overwhelmed. And there's all kinds of areas of our life that we can be overwhelmed in our marriage, parents, uh, uncertain future, just the world that we live in. There's all kinds of uncertainty that can overwhelm the heart and Jesus is going to give us some great counsel today in regard to that so let's look look in verse one and let's talk about the first answer to a troubled heart and uh, and I just want to talk about and want to state this that there is an answer to troubled hearts there is an answer it's a certain answer so Jesus speaks about it in verse one so he tells them he says let not your hearts be troubled Here's the answer to the troubled heart. Believe, trust, have faith in, have confidence in, believe in God. In other words, believe in my Father. And then he says, believe also in me. So Judas has gone from the room. He's gone to betray the Lord. And so Jesus turns to the eleven, has an intimate table conversation 
with them about really significant, important matters. His words always are very important, but there's an extra sadness that has entered the room from his words. They are trying to, in the moment, hang on to faith. They can tell that something is different. And Jesus, on this night, in chapter 13, has already said of multiple things that has sunk their heart. Let me just remind you of those four things. In verse 21, Jesus tells them, I am troubled in heart. He lets them know that even He is troubled on this Passover night. Why is He troubled? Because one of them that has been cho- that was chosen is going to betray Him. And so verse 21 tells us about that as well. And then He tells them in 33 through 36, He says, man, listen, I'm going to go away, and where I go, you cannot follow Me. And so their hearts think about that. Okay, what do you mean? We, we can't be with you anymore. What does this mean? And so their hearts sink from that. And then following up on that, Peter was like, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give my life for you. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, are you really? Peter, actually tonight before the morning comes and the rooster crows, you're actually going to deny me three times. So in just a matter of minutes, moments, Jesus speaks of death. He speaks of betrayal. He speaks of denial and he speaks of separation. Those are some things that can really sink a heart. And he just drops these in the lap of these men that he's been with for three years and their hearts are unsettled. It is a rare thing in our life to know what the, what the future holds. And Jesus has just told them, let me tell you four things that are about to happen in your life. Here they are, four things about to take place. And it shakes them, kind of like a boat tied up by a rope to a post when a hurricane comes in just hanging on for life there are times right that life can feel that way how am i going to make it through the storm but the aim of jesus in these final hours in these final moments with the 11 is to speak words of comfort and i'm so thankful god speak words of comfort to our hearts to give us direction to understand when our heart is troubled within us what we are to do three years of daily ministry they've spent time with him creates a friendship and a bond that's unlike anything else i tried to i tried to picture in my mind what it was like for them and the only the only illustration that i can give is this we lived in germany as church planters for four years and one of my aims is was is that in the years that we were there i wanted to walk on every single street in the city of dusseldorf and pray on it and I didn't I never got finished and there's parts of me that wants to go back and finish I kind of know areas there's probably new neighborhoods but but I spent time there and if you've ever lived in a foreign country and you've had a biblical mindset of living there you can relate to this it'll be hard for you if you haven't lived um, in that kind of setting I so I, I left parts of my life in that city just left parts of my life there that I, I won't ever get back. They were on the streets of the city of Dusseldorf. And, the, and I've been gone for 13 years now from that city. And there's not a day, not, not a day that goes by that there's not a smell, there's not a moment, there's not a thought, there's not something that my heart aches. To be back there for that moment, to see that, um, to be there. And so I, I feel that every day after... You know, it was four years and 13 years later, I feel that. I cannot imagine what it must be like to have lived with Jesus for three years. 
Can you imagine the ache in your heart when he tells you, look, I know you've been with me physically for three years and we have such a bond together, but I'm about to be gone. What you know is, is over with. He's been telling them he's about to die. They don't fully grasp the significance of that. All that they have known with him is about to be over. Ultimately, it's going to be good, but they can't see that in the moment. Their heart is deeply sunk within them. As a matter of fact, he will continue to talk. And when we get to John chapter 16, he will will affirm the sorrow and sadness in their heart in two places. In John 16, 6, he says, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And then in verse 22 of 16, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but listen, I will see you again, he tells them, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So he knows in this moment, what they need more than anything else is for him to give them a tool some words to deal with the emotions and the reality of what they are about to step into. And so he gives his assurances to them through his words. Why do we do Psalm 119, in case you've wondered? Why do we, we've been doing Psalm 119, quoting a section of Psalm 119 for years now. Are we ever going to stop that? Do you think we're ever going to stop that? No. Here's why. I want to do this... I. Our role as elders of this church is to put before us one thing over and over and over again, and that's the Word of God. And I can't tell you, we've been doing this about seven or eight years now, that there are moments during the week in a certain situation that some of these things that we have quoted for years now don't pop back into my head in that moment that I need. And so what we need in the moments of our lives The good moments, the troubling moments, is we need the truth of God's Word to be deeply ingrained in us. And so in this moment, Jesus gives them His words to comfort them and to give them a tool. So look what He says. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. What does He know? He knows the reality is their hearts are what? They are troubled. But He's saying, let me me help you with that. So listen to what he's teaching here. Listen to what he's saying. We don't just have to idly sit by and let life fall apart. He's saying that there is a way that that we cannot let our our hearts get so overwhelmed that we're just like, okay, just run over me. But he says this, watch this, get in the mix of your troubled heart and give it to God and plead with God. There's an aspect of of Christ communicating to us here where He says we don't have to let this fully take, take place where it just overwhelms us and then we're crushed by the weight of it. There's a way. Now, we don't have the power. Obviously, just remind us, I'm not trying to say this morning that we have the power, but I want you to know this. He's telling, to peop- he's telling men whose hearts are sinking, He's telling them, don't let this sink you. There is a way that even in the midst of the troubled heart, that you can walk through this. And so you get in the mix of that, in the struggle you face. Don't run and hide. Don't just stand by and let our lives fall apart. He says there is something to do in the midst of that when our hearts are troubled. Now listen to these words. Our hearts can be agitated, anxious, 
worried, bothered, disturbed, uneasy, apprehensive, fearful, perturbed. We chew off all our nails off our fingers. Bothered, distressed, fretful, nervous, edgy, antsy, tense, worked up, jumpy, or worried sick. And he turns to the men whose hearts are this way and he says, Listen, men, don't let all of this news sink you. This is not, men, men, this is not the end. It's just going to be a change. It's going to be a big, significant change. But it is not the end. This is going to, our relationship's going to change in the future. And so now he tells them, what do, you, what do they do with what they are feeling in the moment? What do they do with their heart? How do we find help when our heart is overwhelmed and our heart is troubled? Let me tell you what the answer is. The answer is the same thing it's always been. It is faith and trust in who God is. And that He has given us words of how to live our life and how to handle the things that we face. So look what He says. Look at, four, look at one again. So their hearts are troubled. And He tells them, let not your hearts, don't let it get so overwhelmed. Here's what you do, men. Believe in God, my Father, and believe also in me. The wrestlings of our heart meet their match in trust and faith in the Father and the Son. So he tells them, listen, here's what you do. You must believe in the Father, that the Father is good. You must believe in me. You have been with me. You know that I love you. You know what I've taught you. I've told you about my Father. So here's what your troubled hearts need to do. You trust in the goodness of the Father. And you trust that I've been telling you and modeling to you who the Father is. This word believe here means to be persuaded of and to have confidence in. So when our heart is troubled, the first thing we must do is believe in the goodness of the Father and to believe in Jesus. And fear will come knocking, will it not? And there will be moments where like, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what this afternoon holds. But fear's grip on our lives is loosened when we learn in the midst of a troubled heart to trust in His goodness in a more complete way. Y'all remember the father whose son was demon-possessed and it would come upon him and throw him into the fire. And Jesus asked the man, the father, He said, do you believe that I can remedy this? And he said, Lord, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Because I got some unbelief too. And I just want to say to us this morning, there are, there are moments, no matter how strong your faith is, that sometimes our faith is rocked. And let's just be honest. And we have faith. It's not that we have become atheists in the moment, but it's just a rough moment. And in those moments, we're finding it hard to trust. And I just want to always say this to us. Always be honest with God. We never fool Him. And when faith is weak, just go to Him and say, Lord, even help me now in this moment in the places of my unbelief because I want to trust and I want to believe. This verb tense here, believe in God, believe also in me, 
are present imperatives in the Greek, and it means this, keep on believing, keep on trusting, keep on trusting. They are to not let the trouble of their heart in the moment to rob their trust in the Father and their trust and belief in Christ. This is the key to getting through the valleys of life that come. It is faith that sustains us. Faith in who God is and what God has said when our hearts are overwhelmed. And when the troubles of life come and the trials will blow into our lives, and when they do, they will either fill ourselves with greater trust or we will be overwhelmed by them and they will break us in moments of our unbelief. And so this is a call from Christ that is fully in line with what He's been telling them over and over again. I want you to know this, man. I want you to know this, man. You, that I and the Father, we are one. We are in unity together. So you can believe in the Father and you can trust in me even though your heart is overwhelmed. And you see, it comes to a place where it is personal faith in a personal God that brings personal strength that flows out of His great power in our lives equipping us to face the things that we are facing isaiah wrote these words in 26 3 listen to this you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you who it's fixed on you because he trusts in you trust in the lord forever for the lord god is an everlasting rock so if you're here today and your heart is troubled here's the words of jesus trust in the goodness of the father trust in the goodness of the son and he will sustain you in the midst of that secondly he says something that i don't know if he said before but i love what he says and it's incredibly incredibly important And we'll lift our soul this morning. Look at verse 2. So here's the second thing that troubled hearts need. They need to know that there is room in the Father's house. There is room in the Father's house. So verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now you older Christians in here, let me take you back for a moment. Audio Adrenaline, back in the day, had a song called My Father's House where you could play football in a great big yard and all of this kind of stuff. And, and it was really popular back in my youth ministry days and we used to have motions and all that. And I didn't think for a second that I would sing it this morning. So if you're wishing that, sorry. Um, but it was a great song and it was a great reminder and it was grounded in this verse. The 11's hearts are sunk. Jesus is about to be gone. They're not going to get to see Him anymore. What they've experienced is now their hearts are troubled. He says, listen, I know your hearts have sunk, but trust in me, trust in my Father. And let me tell you about my Father. My Father has a house, not here on this planet. He's got a house where He abides, which is in heaven, this holy place. And in His house, He has so many rooms that every child of His gets a space, gets a spot. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in church time where King James was the translation that everybody used. And so we didn't go to church all the time, but we did go to church. And at the 
pastors, and my grandfather was a pastor, and he'd get his big preacher voice, and he would speak about, in my father's house are many mansions. Now, I grew up in Waco, and I don't know, near downtown Waco, there were these gigantic mansions, really old mansions built way back in the day. And so as a kid, I used to think, we're going to get to live in one of those by myself? I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. And then now that I'm at this mature age that I'm at, I realize, well, no, that's, I'm not going to live in a mansion, a Waco mansion. By the way, we don't want to live in a Waco mansion. We want to live in the place God lives, where His very presence is there. And so Jesus tells men who have a troubled heart, hey men, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. My Father has a house, and it has many rooms. This word here, many rooms, speaks of a dwelling place. There are two words in the Greek in regard to meaning. One is... A dwelling in any place. There's a Bodart tree back here that the students like to climb on, the kids like to climb on. You can live in that tree. Don't really advise it, but that's a that's a could be a dwelling place. The second meaning of the Greek word is this: it means the place where one dwells. Permanent. And li- listen to what Jesus is saying. Man, I know your hearts are overwhelmed, but I want you to trust in the Father, and I want you to trust in me. And this Father I've been telling you about, I want you to know this. He has a house. And in his house, he has a permanent dwelling space in which you, because you believe in me, you're going to live for forever. This word means to remain, and it points to a place where one remains or dwells. And so heaven is the place where God remains, and it's the place where we will remain. And Jesus says one of the unique things about this place is not all the furnishings. And I can't wait to get there. I don't know about you. I can't wait to get there. Can you imagine the furnishings that God puts in the heavenly city that we're going to live in? Those are going to be awesome to see, experience, and all of that. But the greatest thing is this, that Jesus tells these men with troubled hearts, it's not the furnishings, and they're going to be awesome. It's that, listen to this, He has a place for you and for me. To dwell in His presence for all of eternity. That'll lift your heart, right? You see, here, it's rough. But we're just journeying through here to the ultimate place that we are going to be. And so therefore, we're just a sojourner through this life moving forward to our permanent place that is fitted by Christ in heaven. He's not leaving just to leave. He's leaving so the Spirit would come and He's leaving to get heaven ready for the Father's children. So therefore, I just want to say this in the room this morning, for every Christ follower that is here today, death is not something we should ever fear at all, for it is only moving from one temporary dwelling place to the permanent dwelling place. This is just our passing through time. And so he tells them here, I'm telling you this plainly. Look what he says. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you about this. If this was not true, I'm not a liar, men. 
I'm not a liar. I wouldn't tell you that the Father has a place for you, that you're going to be with Him, and I'm not hiding any kind of truth with you. You are going to be with the Father. Two, two weekends ago, Pam and I in Canyon went down to the hill country to Comfort, Texas. Great place to go. We stayed in the cabin, paid our money. They sent us a message. When you get here tomorrow, in the refrigerator, fresh eggs from chickens. You're going to have muffins ready to go. This is going to be in your cabin. This is what's going to be there. The key is going to be in the door. We pulled up, walked up. Everything that they told us in the email that would be there, everything was there. Obviously, Candy and I went to the counter because muffins need to be eaten. They don't need to sit on a counter. So we began to experience everything they told us. And I tell you, as great as that was two weekends ago, can you fathom that the Son of God has told us that He has gone away to prepare a place for us? How amazing is that? So there is room in the Father's house, and it will, be, it will actually be beyond what's been written in Scripture. We don't have every single detail of the glory of heaven. We can't even handle what's been shared with us. It is so glorious and so incredible. So heaven becomes this prepared place for a prepared people. And he is preparing us now for that. So what does that lead us to do? I think it leads us to do this. I don't mind this journey here, even though sometimes my heart is overwhelmed. Because I know this, this is just the road that leads me home. And I will be in His presence. And I'm not home yet, but I will be. So can we have confidence in that? How do we have confidence? That we can trust in the Father, we can trust in the Son, and that He also has room for us. And that's the third thing I want to talk about. Look at verse 3. So He says, if... And if I go, this is not an if, like maybe, this is since, better translation, probably a since. And since I go, because I am going, he's been saying that. And since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now let me ask you a question, you better know this, unless you've never been to church in your life. It's okay to not know this. When Jesus grew up here on the earth, what was his occupation? What was he? He was a carpenter. Guess what he is doing right now? Guess what he's continuing to be? A carpenter. If, since I'm going away, I'm going to take my divine carpenter skills not to Nazareth. I'm going to take them to my eternal place at the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place in the place with many rooms for the Father's children. So he's got, he's, what is he doing right now? He's keeping up his divine carpentry skills. Preparing a place for us. By the way, this first part of verse 3 here, and if I go and prepare a place for you, no one in the history of the world can say this but Jesus. He's the only one who can say that he had left heaven, come here, he had descended from heaven, then he would ascend back to heaven. He is the forerunner. 
to get everything ready. So this phrase, if I go and prepare, is a Greek word called prodromos. And it means this, it's translated most often, forerunner. Hebrews 6.19 says this about Jesus. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the ancient city of Africa in Alexandria, these big ships would come in carrying goods, and they had a hard time navigating, so they would send out a small boat. The small boat would go out, it would get in front of the ship, the big ship would sail behind the small boat, and the small boat would lead them as a forerunner into the port. In the Roman army, there were a group of men that were sent out called the prodromoi, And they were the reconnaissance troops. They were the scouting party. They would go ahead of the army to see what was ahead and come back and report and say and communicate what was there. Jesus uses this word. I am the forerunner. And he says this, and so if I go, since I'm going as a forerunner ahead of you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, I want you to know this. I'm not going to stay away. I have the most awesome news in the room this morning. He is coming again. He is coming again and He will come for His people. And He will take us to be where He is. And so He goes first as the forerunner, making it safe and making it good. Obviously, it's, it's all good already. And He blazed the way to heaven to the Father that we might follow in His steps. So he is keeping up his divine carpentry skills, divine ones, getting them ready. He will not remain absent from us. It says in verse 3, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. We will meet again, he tells them, and dwell in the place of no more tears, no more pain, no more separation because the old order of things is going to be done away with. And so not only for all of eternity, we will not be absent from the physical presence of Jesus forever. We will be in His presence for all time. So this also is those who have gone before us that we love and knew Jesus. We will be with them in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. Alexander McLaren wrote about the early church and he wrote these words, He said the primitive church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than about death or about heaven. He wrote these words. He said the early Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called a grave. They were not looking for a break in the sky called glory. They were watching not for the undertaker. They were watching for the upper taker. The one who would bring them to His presence to be with Him for all of eternity. And I want to just say this morning before we move on, the hope for troubled hearts this morning that He says, you can trust in Me and you can trust in the Father. And you can know this, that I'm telling you, I would never lie to you, that in my Father's house, that there are many, many rooms for His children 
to live there. How can we believe in that? We can believe in that because Jesus said, since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I want you to know this, that I'm going to come back for you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming back and I'm going to take you to be where I am and you will be with me where I am. So there is a certain promise that Christ gives that we will be with Him. Here's the fourth thing that a troubled heart needs is that a troubled heart can absolutely know the way to the answer, to the ultimate destination. So look at verse 4. There is a certainty to know the way, and so he, Jesus speaks in verse 4. And you know the way, tells the eleven, to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Let me just stop here for a moment. Let's not be too hard on these men. We are still like them, and we have 2,000 years of church history. We can be like them. So he tells them, you, you know the way where I'm going. Why, why, would, why would there be a possibility for him to know? He's been telling them for a long time where he's going. He's been telling them. Well, what's the problem then? Why does Thomas, by the way, speak for everybody? I don't know if everybody felt the same way, but you notice, you ever been there where somebody says we, and maybe you don't feel that way, but they want to include everybody, and it's really them who are feeling this. And so I don't know if it's everybody in the room who's wondering about this, but it's Thomas. And so Thomas says, Lord, Lord, um, we, don't, we, we, we don't know where you are going. So how, how can you say that we know the way what's what's the issue now i appreciate thomas's honesty i guess we can commend him for that it's always good to be honest but what's the problem what's the problem the problem is this is they still have some preconceived ideas of what jesus was going to do he was going to restore the nation and he would get rid of rome as a matter of fact after the cross after the resurrection, they've seen the resurrected Christ. They've talked to Him. They've spent time with Him multiple times. In Acts 1, you can go read it. Right before He ascends, one of them says, So, hey, hey, um, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel right now? They still don't get that He had not come to restore Israel. He had come to establish a new kingdom. It's called the church. And so they're still wondering about this. Listen. And I'm going to gently say this and lovingly say this. Our hearts will continue to remain troubled when we project on Jesus our preconceived ideas for what we want Him to do and what He wants Him to be if they don't line up to Scripture. He is only going to be what the Scripture says about Him. And if we have these ideas of what we want Him to be and He's not going to be that. He's not going to be this candy machine in the sky where we put our quarters in and we push the button and it just, we just get what we want. He's not going to be that. Yes, He answers prayer. Yes, He blesses all of that. But if we put on to Him these preconceived ideas, listen, our hearts are going to continue to never move to a place of trusting. Why? Because we're not trusting genuinely in what the scripture has to say in regard 
to who He is. So when the mind has man's opinions and not the mind of Christ, we will say things like Thomas, even though Jesus has been telling them over and over, you know where I'm going, no, we really don't know, because Thomas has got his own ideas about all of this. So when our mind is full of opinions and biased leanings of understanding, we will have a hard time having the mind of Christ and eventually getting to the place where our hearts rest in Him. So what should Thomas have done? Even though he didn't fully understand what should he have done, he should have said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust in what you've been saying. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust that in the Father's house, you're going away, this is all good, and I'm going to trust what you have been telling us, and I'm going to set aside my preconceived ideas and notions about you for solid promises that only come from Jesus. You see, faith in Christ's person and hope in Christ's promise will comfort our troubled hearts. So there is a certainty to know the way. That way is found in the words of Christ, what Jesus has taught us, what is true about who He is, who the Father is, who we are, who the Holy Spirit is, and the ways of the kingdom. Here's the last thing this morning. So Jesus answers Thomas, and He says there is only one way through Christ. So verse 6. So Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, absolutely no one, comes to the Father except through me. This is the sixth of the seven I am statements in John, and it's another affirmation of Jesus speaking about his deity. And he addresses something here that he has taught them and shared with them over the past three years that he is the one who came to make the way, he is the one who came to be the way. He is the one who is the truth, and He is the one who is the very life. So let's talk about those three just for a moment. Jesus is, listen, the, Jesus is the, the only way. He is not a way among many. He is the way. Isaiah wrote this Great perspective in chapter 35, beginning in verse 8. He's speaking about the glory of salvation and its returning. And he says this, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called a way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, and it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Listen to what he says next. He says, Even if they are fools. You ever felt like a fool? You're a believer and you love him and you do something and you're like, How foolish was that? Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beasts, no fear, ravenous beasts will be there and come up on it, for they shall not be found there, but the redeemed walk there in freedom. They walk in security. And he said, the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion and they will come with singing. I can't wait to sing in front of Jesus when He's right there in front of me. I can't wait to sing with the angels and to sing with the saints. Blessed is He who was and is and is to come. Blessing 
and honor and glory to the Lamb who sits on the throne. So Isaiah writes, They shall come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be on their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and... <gasps> Sometimes we do that in life. We just, uh, we sigh. Why do we sigh? We're like, oh, it's just, just frustrating here. It's just difficult here. And we, we sigh. Why? Because we long for the way of holiness where sorrow and sighing, listen to what Isaiah says, shall, will, flee away. We are headed to that place. Listen, Jesus is the road. He is the guide on the road. He's the way. He's it. He is the way. Stanley Jones, when I was researching, wrote of a missionary who had lost his way in the African jungle. He could no longer lost his way and could no longer find any landmarks to kind of recenter himself. And the trail that he was on just vanished. Eventually, he just came stumbling through and he found a small hut. And he asked, he found a man there that lived there. And he said, could you help me get out of here and, so I could get back? The native nodded and rising to his feet, the native walked directly into the bush and just started swinging his machete. The missionary had one as well and they were hacking their way through and they encountered lots of dense walls of vines and grasses and the missionary man-centered thinking thought oh this can't be the way this is not the way that i came in so he said are you sure this is the way i don't see a path the african chuckled and said over his shoulder Boana, in this place there is no path i am the path follow me follow me jesus is the only way to the Father. There are 4,000, about 4,200 religions on the planet right now. Is that amazing? 4,199 of them have one thing in common, all of them. We try to work our way to heaven. There's one of the 4,200 where one came and he took on skin and on a cross he bore in his body our sin. He died in our place. And he offers salvation and a way. We must be saved by the one who can save us, Jesus. He is the only way. He is also really relevant in a culture like ours today. He is the only truth. He's not one truth of many truths. He is the truth. He is the only truth. And all truth emanates out of who He is. He is the sole, sole source of truth. He is the perfect one. And when He came, He communicated clearly what the truth is, that He is the truth, and what the truth is in regard to the Father. And so everything that Jesus set forth for us is the only truth. You want to know what's real? Look at the Bible. Look what Jesus says. Look what the prophets wrote about. Who did they write about? They wrote about Jesus. His coming. 
John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the personification of truth. He is the speaker of truth. And being the perfect revelation of God the Father, He perfectly embodies everything that you and I need to know that's come to us in the Scripture and everything that we need to believe in regard to who Christ is, how to walk with Him. He is the only manifestation of the eternal God. That's why Hebrews 1 speaks about this. In these last days, you know, God used to speak this way, but in these last days, He has spoken to us, how? By His Son. And He's the exact representation, the exact imprint of His nature. You remember in John 6, had all these people following Jesus, and He thought, man, I got a great sermon today. Hey, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. What? And on that day, many people just said, I'm done with this. This man's crazy. And they turned away. And Jesus turned to the 12 and said, hey, guys, look at all those people walking away. They've turned their backs on us. They're gone. You know, they've been walking with us for a while. Many of those were walking with the 12 for a while in this larger group that was there. And they're gone now. What are y'all going to do? And at moments, you just shake your head at Peter. And and then there's moments you just go, yeah, Peter, you got it. Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You're the Holy One of Israel. You have the words of life. To whom shall we go? You're the truth. You are the way. And they walked with him. And there's so much confusion in our world today because the world thinks that everybody gets to have their own truth. And they can think they have their own truth. There is only one truth. And the truth is a person. And it's not man-centered, it's God-centered. And we will easily believe the lies because Jesus is the truth if we don't know Him. Lastly, He is also the only life. Not only is He the only way, not only is He the only truth, but He is also the only life. He did not say that He could tell us how to have life. But he, he said, no, I am life. I am life. Yeah, yeah, he told us how to have life, but it wasn't just about concepts. He is life. John uses the word life 36 times in 22 chapters. Think that's important to note? He writes these words. The reason I wrote this gospel is so that you would believe in him and you would have life in his name. This word life means absolute fullness of life, life that is real and genuine, active and vigorous. He spoke about this a couple of times. Just listen to one of them. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And Jesus incredibly fully embraced The responsibility of being the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is God. It's literally what the picture that is there. So when the text says that He offers life and that He is the only life, it points to the fullness of God's nature, of God's essence, of God's holiness, His righteousness, the truth of who He is, the knowledge of who He is. It is grounded in Christ. He is the life life real life 
is found only in Christ and flows out of the glory of Christ. Thomas Akempis, he was, you may have read it, Imitation of Christ. Not everything in there in that book is perfect, but there's some things in there that was really good. He was a medieval monk, and he wrote this about this text. And I want to finish with that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Akempis wrote, Without the way, there is no going anywhere. Without the truth, there is no knowing who God is. Without the life, there is no living. Jesus said, I am the way that you should pursue. I am the truth that you should believe. And Akempis wrote, the light, and I am the life which you should hope for. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to get to the Father where there's all of these rooms, you've you got to know this. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one knows the Father except through me. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. There is no heaven without Jesus. There is no sojourning through this life with troubled hearts without Jesus. He is the hope and the answer to everything. Isn't that good to hear again this morning? To be reminded of this morning? It is not grounded in your ability to get on a treadmill of good works. You're going to give out and you can't run enough. But there's one who came and died on a cross and bore your sin who invites us to yoke ourselves with him. And when we do, we find rest for our souls. Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke with me. Unite with me. Tie your life with me. This is his offer. He loves you and he's got rooms in his house. And the best disc golf course in the history of the world is going to be in heaven. And the best of this is going to be there and the best this and that is going to be there. So when your heart is troubled, remind yourself in the moment, I'm passing through. And I'm going to step over to the other side when this life is over with into real life. The grandest life that could ever be there. This is to lift our hearts today. Speaking to troubled hearts in the room. Let's pray.